Well, we are in uh, week three of this series that we are a part of in Philippians. And looking at this topic, and the title of our series has been Unusual Joy. And we've been talking about the fact of joy not just being, not being an emotion, uh, so to speak, but being, and not just being this idea of happiness, but something far deeper than that, something uh, that has uh, a lot more depth to that, that has more complexity uh, than that as well, too. And one of the definitions that we've talked about in, in recent weeks was this one. It just says that this joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So that, in, in a nutshell, sort of captures some of the, the more of the depth and the richness of this joy that we're talking about and what unusual joy can look like. And it uh, is really about three things in many ways, at least three things. And uh, as I heard one person describe this, I thought this makes a lot of sense. Joy is perspective. Joy is choice, and it's also supernatural. It's perspective in the sense of it's, it's how we choose to view things, but it's also perspective on who we choose to look at and how we look at our Heavenly Father. What is it that we look at in our specific circumstances in those moments? And also that joy is a choice in terms of, uh, even in the text that we will see today, this choice of choosing to rejoice, choosing to give thanks, even in that definition that I just read of this determined choice to praise God in every situation. And then also this idea that, that joy is supernatural in the sense that it is something that is uh, only able for us to achieve through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something that comes out of our circumstances. It's something that can only be seen and experienced and entered into by the power of the Holy Spirit at work uh, in our lives. We've also in this series been looking at uh, the topic of mental illness and depression as a reality of one of those things or this whole category of complexities that collides up against this idea of joy as Paul talks about it, and it comes through in this uh, text in Philippians over and over again, this, this joy that is referred to. And for people who are walking in and experiencing in uh, different aspects of mental illness, and including depression, it's something that very much becomes a challenge and collides this, with that. So we've been looking at that uh, together hand in hand. A couple of weeks ago in the first week, we looked at this idea of how complicated uh, life is, how complicated even Paul's life was as he wrote this text of Philippians, he wrote this letter to this church at Philippi while in prison and awaiting a trial and really uncertain as to how his life would unfold. In fact, not even sure or not even knowing if he was convicted whether or not he would live or whether he would be executed. And so life definitely for Paul was complicated. And we looked in that first week about how joy and pain so often go hand in hand. They go side by side like these parallel tracks in our lives and just the reality of that, that that so many of us uh, experience. And how we need uh, at least two things in order to walk in that. First of all, a hope and a purpose beyond ourselves. And then secondly, the need for community. So that first week, we kind of unpack some of those things and what that looks like. Last week, uh, Pastor Harry uh, spoke about Philippians chapter 2. And he looked at about six things that have helped uh, in this journey. And what can help us on our way in this journey. And then today in Philippians 3, we want to look at this idea of what does it take to move forward? And what is it that that holds us back from moving forward in our lives and moving forward into more of what God has for us 
uh, in this area. I remember about 18, 19 years ago when my parents uh, moved off of their farm and they, they moved to the city of Calgary at that time. And I remember uh, the challenge of, of transferring or downsizing from 48 years of farming to move into one house in the middle of a city. And you can imagine the complexity. Some of you have gone through that. Many of you have gone through that, either yourselves or with others in your family, and you know the challenge of that. And even now this last summer, my parents, now in their mid-80s, both of them, uh, again having the challenge of moving from their house in the city of Calgary now to a condo and a much smaller kind of setting. And the, again, the challenge of downsizing and going through all of the, the questions and the decisions that have to be made about what you purge, what you get rid of, how you kind of, what you throw away, what do you sell, what do you just sort of discard. And, and in doing that, the challenge of taking every piece and sort of every item and every object and assessing its value, right? And having asked that question, well, okay, does this actually have any value anymore? And maybe it had value back there and we've lugged it along and some of you have done that, as I have too, through different moves of one place to another and you carry all of this stuff that we accumulate in life and then you don't really think about what has value and what doesn't have value, but at some point you need to test that and usually it's at a time of a move that we go through that. And I think we all have a sense of skewed worth on some things, don't we? Some of those prized possessions that we have that we think, oh, this is just so precious. How can we get rid of that? And so I I brought some of my prized possessions along as I've kind of tracked some things along. And and a lot of them, again, just like Paul, you know, we'll see in this text that he, it it connected to some of his identity. And so I I pulled through some of my closets uh, last night and I look at some of these things and think, wow, what a nice hockey jersey that is. And that reminds me that, yes, one day, Dad, I tell my kids, used to be an athlete. Um, And so you have these things that are just these prized possessions that you sort of pull out and you go, wow, is that ever nice? You know, so that's sort of that background of of the hockey era. And then you pull out these things. Now, Lisa loves when I pull these along from one place to another. And uh, you have these nice things that are so valuable because they're precious, right? I mean, precious. I mean, who wouldn't want to wear a ball jacket like this, right? Goes especially well with purple, okay? I mean, look at these things. I mean, that is nice stuff, right? I don't know. There's a red theme going on here, okay? Or, or you, you go at some deeper stuff, and then you pull out those trophies that you have from way back when, you know? And then you, I had to pull these out of a, way back in the garage yesterday and blow them off and dust them off and go, yeah, okay, that really doesn't mean a whole lot to me anymore, but... Why do I have it still? I don't know. And then you go, oh, wow, here's a look at that one from Ball. Okay, that's a, that might be my brother's, actually. <laughs> I don't know. But, but all these things that you think, oh, they're so valuable, you know? And you've gone through that. You, you have these things that you collect, these things that are part of your past, part of your identity, part of what you carry forward, and you, and you just sort of drag them along with you. And for many of us, you know, it's only that time of of moving or purging that we actually have to assess, does any of this have any value anymore? I know what my wife would say. But we have to ask those questions. Paul is asking those questions in this text that we're going to look at today. Because, you see, anytime we move forward, anytime we, we move forward in life in whatever expression that that looks like, there's always some kind of loss involved. There's always some things that we leave behind. And it's hard. It's hard when they're good things and they're good memories and they're things that sort of identify us back there and we 
can resonate with some of that time of our life. And we, so we, it's hard to move forward when those things that we are leaving behind are really good and good memories and so on. But it's also hard when it's painful. It's also hard when those things of our past are things that come with such challenge and things that are not easy. Whether it's in a distant past or a more recent past, whatever the case may be. But then how is it that we can move beyond those things that sort of hold us there and that don't allow us to move forward? And as I said in this text today, we'll see how for Paul, a lot of it had to do with his identity. It had to do with those things that, that he thought at one point were, were so valuable, valuable and how we all need to move forward and, and not just sort of cling on to our earthly identity and things, but to actually have them represent something else in some way. And for each of you, it's, it's different. When you go through transitions in life, our identity sort of gets stripped away at times, doesn't it? If you're in high school and you just graduate from high school and you've now all of those years that you've been in school and you've known what to do and now all of a sudden you have identity crisis and questions. Or maybe you've just recently retired and your career has been kind of set out for you and your identity was so much in what you did and what was on your business card and those kinds of things and now it's like, who am I again? Or, or maybe it's a, a loss of a job or something like that that has happened. Or maybe, maybe you're a person who's been a, a stay-at-home mom and your kids get older and they move out of the house and Suddenly you're experiencing that empty nest feeling and that question of now, who am I? What is my purpose? What is my identity? We all go through those things in a variety of ways. But God keeps calling us forward. It's one thing I see in Scripture and that we all experience in life is that we can't go back. We're continually called forward in one way or another. And let's look at this text in Philippians chapter 3 and some of the ways that that the Apostle Paul speaks of this, of moving forward in life and what it takes to do that. We'll start in Philippians 3, just in verse 1. Paul starts out, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. When you read that very first text, you realize that that's quite a beginning where he, he says, you know, watch out. Or so he says, first of all, whatever happens, brothers, whatever happens, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens. Quite a statement of faith. He's saying, regardless of your circumstances, whatever happens, and if you think about this idea that he was in prison, not knowing what his outcome would be, it's it's quite a statement. It's quite a declaration of faith. As he says, choose to rejoice in all circumstances. And then it goes on in verse 2 and 3, and it makes quite a shift where he says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. It's quite a shift he makes from verse 1 to verse 2. I mean, what a different tone. What a stark contrast. I mean, what's up with that? He's suddenly saying, okay, these dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, he says, watch out for these people. And it's sort of like he's you know, referencing if you've ever been in these cities or these countries where there are stray dogs around. And I remember being in a number of countries where you see these stray dogs kind of roaming the streets and these dogs who sort of impose and go where they're not wanted or welcome and you're sort of leery of them and you, you sort of go, you know what, I think you're even a little bit dangerous and I don't want to go near you. And so I sort of had that image in my mind as, as Paul says this. He says, watch out for those dogs. And then he calls them these mutilators of the flesh. And these people who don't understand what true faith is. 
And what he's talking about is these people who are adding back into this gospel of Jesus and this church that is learning what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And he, he's saying to them, don't allow these people to sort of add back in the things of, of the Old Testament law that, that they have to suddenly become Jewish first in order to be a true follower of Christ. And some people were teaching that. That no, 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 you have to be circumcised now in order to move forward truly in, in faith. And I remember going through uh, texts with my daughters and reading scripture to them at different times. And you, you come across these passages, and many of you parents have experienced this, where, you know, your child reads this whole word of circumcision. And you kind of go, okay, how do we explain this? And it's like, okay, well, it's sort of this male thing, and, you know, it's about cutting off a piece of skin and sort of the private parts. Do I have to go any further? You're good? So, so, but it's this strange thing that Paul's talking about. You're going, what does that have to do with faith? But it was a very significant thing of faith. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 17, you see where this was instituted by God. That it was a mark. It was an identification of the people of Israel. And it says that you will have this land that I will enter into you. This land of Canaan that will be your eternal possession. And he says that you will also be my people. And I will be your God. And so it was no small thing. It was a very significant thing that these people through all the generations had as part of their tradition, as part of their faith, as part of their identity of who they were were as people of God. So I want us to understand that. It's not like it's this small thing. It's a big deal because it is so much of their background, so much of their faith, so much of their understanding that they had come through all of these years. If you go back and you read the story in Joshua, you see even in Joshua chapter 5 where Moses has been leading these people up to the promised land and then Moses is not allowed to enter and Joshua is the new leader. And they walk across the the Jordan River and that in itself, this miraculous story. And Joshua is now preparing the people of Israel to enter into this promised land. And it's interesting because the first thing that God has him do is that all of these men are circumcised before they go and take the first city of Jericho. Not the best way to prepare an army to fight. But it was because all of these people who had been circumcised all these years before, all of them had died and none of them were allowed to cross the Jordan to enter into this land. And now God, again, as a mark of his people, as a declaration of faith, he says, this is what needs to happen before we are to take this first city and before we are to enter into this new promised land. So that's what God has them do. And the thing I want us to understand is the significance of what this means to these people. It had a huge history with them in all kinds of depth of meaning. But even in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, you see the writers of the Old Testament point to the fact that that this circumcision, this fleshly circumcision was not enough, that it it had a deeper spiritual meaning to it than just that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. It says, The Lord your God will change your hearts or circumcise your hearts and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so that you may live. So throughout Scripture we see, and especially coming into the New Testament, we see this language of the circumcision of the heart. And it picks this up as this spiritual reality and this spiritual truth. And Paul wrote about it extensively as he challenged the churches through his letters about not adding into the the gospel of Jesus Christ, about not going back to those ways that that time was now done, but now that you are God's people for a different reason, it's because of what Christ has done, not because of this mark of fleshly circumcision. And even in Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, in this letter that Paul addresses this so pointedly, Paul says this, he says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. So he's saying there's a spiritual reality now that is different as we understand and receive this gift of Jesus Christ that is being offered in this gospel. So let's continue reading in Philippians chapter 3 as we look at verse 4 to 6 where Paul talks about these credentials. So he says, We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own effort, I have even more. And then he goes on a bit of a brag trip, he says. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I hardly per- or harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul is saying, you know what? You have these dogs, as he calls them. You have these people who are teaching you falsely that you have to now go back to this Jewish ways and you have to kind of go back and add in these things to the gospel. And he says, you know what? If you actually could earn your salvation by those things, nobody could do it better than me. Because he says, I could tick off every box. And he just sort of goes through the list and he says, if you want those qualifications, I have them all. And he ticks them off one after another. He talks about those things that he has done, of circumcised on the eighth day, of being even a Roman citizen, a full-blooded Hebrew, and how being of the tribe of Benjamin, even everything kind of lined up for Paul. And he says, if that was the way that we earn our salvation, he says, I am very positioned to be righteous. But then he says, it's not about that at all. As we continue to read in verse 7, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them absolutely worthless because of what Christ has done. And the statement of how those things in the past, those good things that even these gifts that God has given me that have been a blessing for me, that have been so important in my faith and my heritage and my background. He says all of these things just really become worthless in comparison to what Christ has done. He says, yeah, it's all worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he goes on to say, he says, because of that, I've discarded all of these things. All of these things are rubbish. All of these things, they don't matter. They're dung, as the language is there. He says, they just don't matter anymore. As Christian believers, if we are a follower of Christ, What Paul is wanting to say to us is that we cannot put any merit on our human flesh in terms of what we have accomplished. Following Christ and confidence in Christ is not about social social privilege or standing. And how when we rely on anything of the flesh or we sort of look to those things, that those are the things that make us right with God. If we are just good enough, if we are a good enough person, then we are, are right with God. He says it will all fall short. And to realize that the things that the world values that we think might be our advantage are actually in the end more of a disadvantage because they they keep us from truly understanding what faith means. Because in these small, subtle ways, we actually start to put stock in them and they become the things that we think have merit and value before God. So here's a truth that that Paul's saying here in this text. And, And you may see it as an encouragement or maybe it's a discouragement for you. But it's this, that our very best achievements the very best that we have ever done for God 
even as we have walked in our Christian life before God, whatever that it is that we have done is still not adequate when we stand before God on that judgment day. It won't measure up. It won't be your ticket into heaven. It won't be your escape from hell. It won't be the thing that welcomes us into the arms of our heavenly Father. Now that for you might be very discouraging. But for me, it's actually very freeing. And that's the point that Paul is making here, is it is so freeing because all of those things are not the things that actually make us right with God. Those things are an expression of our faith, but those are not the things that actually make us in right standing with God, that make us righteous or in right relationship with God when we stand before him on that judgment day. He says in verse 9, he says, I became righteous through faith in Christ. I became righteous through what Jesus Christ has done and his faithfulness in my life and this gift. And then in verse 10, he goes on and he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This powerful text where Paul is pointing to his insatiable desire to know Jesus. This Jesus that he encountered on the road to Damascus as he was persecuting the church, thinking that he was doing the right things, following in obedience to what he thought was the right things because of his Jewish background. And how when he encountered the living Christ, it changed everything. And the scales were removed from his eyes, and he saw Jesus. And now in this text, again, we we see that desire that Paul has. We see that passion that Paul has as he describes this. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to even suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I can experience the resurrection from the dead. So in this section... The primary thing that we need to understand is that righteousness before God on the final day comes solely as a gift from God for us to receive. And any attempts for us to add requirements of human invention to what God has freely given really just amounts to a rejection of the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying to these believers. He says, when you add these things in, you're really just sort of rejecting what God has done for you. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14, he continues. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul here in this text He says something that really shows some of his maturity as a spiritual believer. He says, I haven't haven't arrived. He says, I'm not there yet. I'm still on this journey myself. I still have some things to figure out. I still live with the challenges of the flesh and the sinful nature within me. But he says, this one thing I do, and then he talks about these two aspects to that one thing, of the importance of forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead in Christ Jesus. And he gives us these words of challenge and encouragement of how it is that we are able to move forward in life. To move forward towards Jesus, regardless of where we find ourselves today. And again, he's not talking about just being a good moral person. He's not just talking about doing better works or or good things, because that again becomes more of the rubbish that he's talking about. He's saying it's about understanding who Jesus is and what Christ has done, and just receiving and accepting that and walking in this settled obedience because of that. 
That's what he's talking about. One of the signs of maturity, I think, is what Paul shows here of being able to live in this tension of these things. This tension of what God has already done and what God will ultimately one day do on that final day. This tension of of what has been part of our past, which is known, and this tension of what is in our future, which is yet unknown for us, of what, what does God have in store for us down the road. And that as we walk as believers and as we grow in maturity as believers, we learn to live in this tension of these things. But it's hard. It's hard to move forward when, when there are things in the past that hold us back. And again, those good things too. And just like the people of Israel who even though it wasn't that great, they sometimes wanted to go back to Egypt, even that time of slavery, because at least they knew what to expect. So sometimes for some of us, we have that same feeling like, well, that wasn't so great back there, but at least I knew what it was all about. And sometimes it's easier to walk backwards and to try to go backwards and to be held back there instead of moving forward into a future that is unknown to us and maybe a little bit uncertain to us in terms of what lies ahead. But also this challenge and how hard it is to move forward when, when that past is painful. And when it's things back there that are so deep and so hurtful and so painful that we don't know how to process it. We don't know how to reconcile from it. We don't know how to get beyond it. And we don't know how to move forward from that. But it just sort of holds us there. So here in this text, Paul gives us some of this insight that it's about straining towards this Jesus and what he has done. Again, that perspective thing that I talked about earlier. Not just how we look at things, but who we look at. And not just looking at the circumstances of our lives, but looking at Jesus and what he has done on the cross for our sake, for our benefit. And what difference that makes in our lives of worshiping and following the resurrected Jesus. And the power of that in our lives. So Paul points us to that and even reflects that further on as he says, if you're spiritually mature, you'll agree on these things and you'll understand that You need to hold on to the progress that you've already made and you need to keep moving forward. You know, for all of us, we deal with loss in different ways. And yet God continues to call us forward. And again, this idea that loss in whatever way involves leaving some things behind. Paul left a lot of things behind. He had a loss of his identity, his position, his reputation, his status, probably career possibilities, financial gain, even family and friends, left it all behind for the sake of Jesus and pursuing after Christ. This was his continual focus and passion. This is what drew him forward and allowed him to move forward. So even for those here today or those that are connected with us that that struggle in this area of mental illness and depression, as we've talked some about, we know that there is a longing in that for a very different future, that you cannot at that time and in those moments when you're in that space see or believe. But this desire and this need to move forward and to move beyond where you currently are and to move forward beyond that place to a new future, to a new hope, to a new reality. But it's so hard. And in this text, it's this call to see Christ, to know the power of the resurrection. And if you're a person who's in that space and in that challenge and difficulty, you, you know this tension only too well of the things that hold you back, that are hard to let go of, the reality of your current situation compared to maybe what you were before you're in that space or maybe what you long for in the future and this hope that is there that is so hard to believe that you know will be different, that you hope will be different, that you long 
to be different. And in this whole area, I don't, I don't have simple solutions for you today to just sort of tie it up in a nice neat bow because that does not do justice to your journey. But in this series, what we've been talking about are these biblical truths that help us to walk forward step by step. And also what it means to be a community that, that knows more of what it means to walk with others in that journey step by step. And to be that kind of place that we can do that for each other. To point to these truths in Scripture that we could have the hope of the resurrection. That we can live with that heavenly perspective that Paul goes into even in the last verses in this chapter. He says that we need to live as citizens of heaven. Of a perspective that changes as we look at the scope of life in the context of all of eternity. Not just in these immediate moments. And that we are called to be like Paul where we say whatever happens... Rejoice. Whatever happens. That's a really challenging thing. And Paul had all kinds of hardships in his past and right in front of him. But by his faith and because of what Christ has done, it allowed him to say that. And then even in that chapter, he says, follow after me. He says, follow my pattern. Even as I have gone through these sufferings and these hardships... This ability to have an unusual joy is possible, but it's not easy. Later on in the service today, you're going to hear a testimony, a video testimony from a couple in our church who have shared some very painful things in their story and heavy burdens and how it's been hard to move forward, but how it is also possible to move forward. And I'm going to lead us at that time in a time of praying through some very specific things uh, about the text. I want to invite the worship team up if they would come up at this time. And uh, as they come up, I want to just conclude this part in a word of prayer as we reflect on what God has been saying to us through this text in Philippians chapter 3. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. And we give you praise. And we rejoice for today. And we do that part as an expression of faith, just like Paul, who says, whatever happens... My dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And so, God, we rejoice and we praise your name today because you've called us to. And, Lord, I pray for those who that is just a statement and declaration of faith, that we stand with those and we just declare, Lord, that we rejoice together. Lord, we thank you for this message of Paul. We thank you for this call to continually move forward in faith. We thank you that because of this amazing gift of salvation and what has been done on the cross through Jesus Christ, We can have hope beyond our circumstances. We can have hope beyond the grave. That there is an eternal perspective that we can have as we put our trust in you. And so we thank you and we praise you. Lord, would you give us strength to continue walking step by step. May you place our feet increasingly on higher ground as we keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.